Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Brian mentioned at the beginning, our students are participating in their first ever virtual winter retreat. We hosted a, our first virtual retreat back in the fall with them, and then the student ministry team has spent the last few months refining and planning and dreaming. And uh, one of those refinements, like, like Brian said, is actually happening right now as we close out the winter retreat together as a church community. So if you want to lift up our students in prayer, even at this moment, even as you hear me, that would be awesome. But I wanna thank you for being a part of this with us all as one body. So um, the theme of the weekend was re-entry. And what we did is we spent the weekend celebrating the fact that we have a God who decided to burst through time and space in order to re-enter our lives and seek a personal relationship with us. Our goal for students was to help them find community, belonging, and hope in the name of Jesus. And that theme of Jesus personally re-entering our lives actually fits really incredibly well with our topic today. So I don't know about you, but I'm guessing like me, you might have missed out on a whole variety of personal and important family, relational, or community events over this last year. It's funny, I've actually been listening to this podcast that somebody recommended to me you know, a few months into the pandemic, and I finally hit the point in the podcast where they're living through their first week of the lockdown. And the conversation they're having is both familiar, because you know we all lived through that week back in March when that happened, but it's also comical when you listen to it from this perspective. Uh, one, one of them asks the other one, you know, how are you doing? And, and, and the woman replies back, she says, I've been home for four years days straight. I don't even know who I am anymore. And I found myself listening to this thing thinking, you know, oh, you poor woman. You know, you don't even know yet. You don't know. You're going to be in that house for so much longer. You know, all of us, whether we're listening to podcasts or whatever, all of us in this whole like country, the whole world, we're all living through one of the strangest and for many of us, the hardest years of our lives. A year where so many of our relational normal, connective events have not been available to us. Uh, we've missed birthdays, we've missed holidays, we've missed family reunions and a host of other events. And through it all, mostly we've missed each other. I, I think this was brought you know, to start clarity for me back at Christmas when we hosted our Christmas at Grace event in, in December. The first night, if you went to it, you remember it rained and at times it rained hard. And I will admit, I didn't think anyone would show up. I mean, like, who, who wants to go hang out outside after dark in the rain in December? And so I was not all that optimistic when I showed up for my station, and yet people came out in droves. As people came to my station, I kept thanking them. Thank you for the fact that I'm not out here by myself tonight. Thank you for coming out. And people kept looking at me and saying the same thing. Thank you for being here. And I just found myself realizing that we are desperate for connection. You know, in a way that we are willing to stand outside in the rain after dark in December and be happy about it. You know, and interestingly enough, this isn't just an anecdotal truth either. Uh, the Barna Group is a st statistical research group and, and they've been actually studying mental health developments and seeing some alarming trends throughout this pandemic. They recently released a study of over 15,000 young adults aged 18 to 25, and it was not just from the US, it was a global study. And interestingly, they found two things. Number one, they found that young adults today feel far more connected to the world around them, world events, and the people of the world than any generation before them. And, you know, that, I think that makes sense because of technology and the way it has made the world smaller. 
But the flip side to that equation is that they are feeling incredibly lonely and isolated. Only a third of young adults, again, in a worldwide study, feel cared for or believed in. That, that, that's tragic. Now, before you say to yourself, well, that's, that's a young person problem. Let's, let's look at the U.S. as a whole because they studied the U.S. as well. And the question they asked was, think back on your last seven days. How often would you say that you have felt lonely? Check out these stats. 41% of boomers would say they felt lonely at least once a week. 50% of Gen X would say the same thing. And a whopping 65% of millennials are feeling lonely. 44% would say they feel that way every single day. This isn't a loneliness problem. This is a loneliness epidemic. And this epidemic that all of us are feeling at this moment to, to one degree or another, I think what it does is it points us to a great spiritual need for connection. We all know, think back to even pre-pandemic days, just having a thousand friends on Facebook or on Instagram, it wasn't enough. Um, the number of friends, your number of acquaintances, uh, being popular or being influential, that wasn't enough because relational fulfillment is about far more than that. We are built for relationships. The true, deep, long-term, sacrificial relationships. Uh, one of the first, and I think most profound statements in all of scripture about humanity is about relationships. In, in looking at Adam, in the book of Genesis chapter two, God just simply says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And yet, we all find ourselves alone often these days. I think before the pandemic, but, but increasingly so now during this season. So I think the question for all of us is, what do we do about that? Well, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to take you to this beautiful story that the students have been exploring for the, the last month together. It's, it's a story about connection and belonging, and I'd like us to look at it as we tackle this together. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and to the story of Zacchaeus. All of our student groups have spent the last month studying this story, and so myself and all the other student pastors, we have kind of been um, enmeshed. We've been immersed in this story of Zacchaeus, and I have come to love it. And there's so much about this story that speaks right into what we're talking about today. So let's look at what Luke says. He says this, he says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. A couple of things to note here. First and foremost, right before this, if you're, if you're reading it in your Bible, you can just look directly in front of this story. If you're in an app, you can scroll to the left a little bit. But the preceding event that caused this story to happen was that as Jesus approached the town, he met a blind man who was begging and he healed the man, bringing back his sight. Now, as you can imagine, if you saw something like that today or if that happened you know, in your town or in your neighborhood, news spread, people poured out of their homes because they were curious and they all wanted to know who this Jesus was. Was this story true? And Zacchaeus was just as curious as everyone else. So he joins the crowd in coming out. But second, the critical thing to know as you try to put yourself in this story and envision, envision what's going on is that Zacchaeus was not liked by those around him. In fact, that's a significant understatement. They hated him. 
Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Let's remind ourselves, tax collectors were viewed as traitors by their fellow Jews. He was one of those Jews who had sided with the oppressors and had the job of collecting money from them as taxes and giving it to the Romans. But Zacchaeus, he was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. So he was in charge of the traders who were taking their money, giving it to the pagan oppressors, and then enriching themselves in the process. He was working for the enemy, stealing from them, and building up his own wealth at the same time. So Zacchaeus, he wasn't just rich, he was very rich. And he wasn't just unliked, he was hated. Notice, notice how no one even moves or makes room for him. Imagine what that feels like. Uh, imagine having to climb a tree just to be noticed. So that's what he does. He climbs this tree so that he can see this strange man who has come to town. And I, I think that's your first indication that not all is right in Zacchaeus' heart or his spirit. He, he clearly, he had all the money he could ever want, and, and money provides relational connection. I'm sure he had connections to other tax collectors and to Roman officials and, and to whoever, but something critical was missing for Zacchaeus. Here's this man in a culture that values, especially in men, this solemn dignity. And yet here he is, he's climbing into a tree like a small child, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. You can feel, if you put yourself in this moment, his otherness. You can feel his set-apartness from the crowd that surrounds Jesus as he sits there and he waits. But then Jesus comes walking his way. And Luke says this, he says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and, was, and welcomed him gladly. Notice, notice how Jesus calls him by name, how Jesus looks him in the eye. Notice how Jesus, I love this, invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus, Jesus has no shame. It's one of the things that I love the most about him. He doesn't care what all the people around him think. He says, I'm coming to your house today. And the people around him, they were not happy. Luke just puts it like this. He said, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The people were furious. They were angry. How could this rabbi, this religious leader, this paragon of virtue, this person who was healing blind men, how could he knowingly validate this traitorous thief? Well, I think it's because Jesus knew something. He saw something in Zacchaeus that they didn't. Zacchaeus was lonely. And he was ready for a change. And this is what happened. As the people said this, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Notice he calls him Lord almost immediately. Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a big deal. The Old Testament actually had laws for restitution. And the law said this, you had to pay back what you had stolen or what you had broken. You, know, you, you had to pay back what you were owed, and then you had to pay back one-fifth extra. One-fifth. Zacchaeus pays back four times the amount. Zacchaeus goes way farther than this. Zacchaeus, he is, he is desperate for something more than what he has, for more than money and what it brings him. He is desperate for connection. And then the most amazing thing happens. This is what Jesus says in front of everyone about him. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too 
is a son of Abraham. Keep that, that phrase in your mind, a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's he's talking about himself, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. That phrase is important, a son of Abraham. Jews were sons and daughters of their forebearer, Abraham. That was an important distinction to them. Uh, the promises that God had given their forebearer, Abraham, are what got them through generations of trials and tribulation. And that identity is what they banked on for salvation. So for Jesus to use that term of Zacchaeus was huge. His neighbors looked at Zacchaeus as a traitor, an outsider. To them, he was no son of Abraham. And yet Jesus knew his name, looked him in the eyes, and knew what was going on in his heart. And in this act, he welcomes Zacchaeus into the family. I think in this short encounter here, Jesus does three things for Zacchaeus. He reminds Zacchaeus of the promises that God had made to him generations past. He invites Zacchaeus into a different way of living through the practices of faith. And then he invites Zacchaeus to join the family. He invites him to join the people of God. Here's the thing. Jesus, like Zacchaeus, Jesus knows your name. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows that you are desperately lonely. And he is offering you those same three lifelines today. Now, before we go any further, I just want to say one critical thing. This does not mean that we don't look for professional help when needed. I've personally been in counseling a couple of different times, one for an extended period. And if I could sum it up in one word, I would say it was life-giving. It is incredibly helpful and life-giving. Uh, Kate Fox Fuller, uh, our Wilmington Middle School director, has this incredible sweatshirt that states it so well. It just simply says, it is okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. So don't avoid professional help. It, it, it can mean, uh, I don't know, it, it can be a life-giving experience for you. What this section does mean, though, is that we were created for relationships with God and with other people. And God has given us some critical support structures in a world that often divides and alienates us from each other. And so we begin to break the cycle of loneliness and disengagement by relying on the promises, the practices, and the people of God. So what we're going to do here for a moment is we're going to hear from a few of those people, a, a few Grace Chapel folks who are having a conversation about this. And as you listen, here's what I want you to do. Listen for the promises and the practices and the people of God in this discussion. Hi, everyone. I just want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us and share your experiences um, throughout this time and how the pandemic has impacted each of your lives. So we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. So if you could introduce yourselves and then tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted your connections with people in your life. Hi, I'm Anna. I'm from the Wilmington campus. So shout out to them. Um, and I would say overall, it just has changed a lot. That's the only word I can use to describe it because I made myself so busy before. If I wasn't doing a bunch of homework or at school, um, I hung out with a bunch of different people. And I think I really tried to maintain that over COVID and throughout this whole pandemic, but it just got too much. Like it was too draining for me to have to reach out to every single person that I would have talked to before. So. I would say my circle of friends definitely shrunk, um, but those who I remained in contact with, um, the bond with them definitely got stronger. 
Um, so the quantity of friends decreased, but the quality definitely increased of them. So yeah. Hi, my name is Sam Wan, and I also go to Wilmington. I'm a grandfather, so I have grandchildren, but they live up in Maine. So I have to drive two hours to go see them. And before the pandemic, you know, we, man we managed to go every week. Just play with them for the day, hug them, give them kisses and things like that, up close. And basically that's it. And uh, both Debbie and I are involved with the life community group and very close to the people that in that group. So every time when we meet, we bring food, snack food, and for people to share and, and talk to each other, share our happiness and share our grievances. And also we pray for each other and study our Bibles. Well, my name is Natalia Toscano. I come to the Lexington campus. And one way the pandemic has affected me is by not being able to meet with close friends and family. I have truly enjoyed meeting over meals and sharing laughter and uh, our uh, struggles or our accomplishments. And sadly, we're not able to do that anymore. I'm a mom of two teenage boys and a 22-month-old little girl. And I have missed sharing my experiences as a mom with them. Um, just not being able to talk about the ups and downs of life in general. So I have truly missed that. One other thing that I have also missed is uh, coming to church and serve. Um, I truly enjoy getting ready Sunday mornings, uh, praying for the volunteers, praying for the kids that we serve, uh, seeing the smiles when they come to Kids Town, and seeing the parents rush through the doors <laughs> so that they can um, leave them with our care. I have truly missed that. I, I think we do life best in community. Yeah, thank you all for sharing. I feel like that is your stories and your feelings deeply resonate with me, even as someone who lives alone. I think there's a lot of people who, even though we live alone, we kind of resonate, especially with those feelings of not having that support network to kind of go to with what's going on with life um, and seeing friends and family definitely has been impacted by that. For you guys, what are some of the ways that you have sought connection and kind of broken that cycle of loneliness? What have you reached out to people? Well, for me, one way that I use to pick me up is to focus on my daily tasks. Um, cooking, cleaning, picking up messes, hearing complaints, homework is kind of my day-to-day -day type of activities. Um, and sometimes they feel boring and that I'm not really accomplished anything. Um, but God has been merciful and graceful. My family is together, we're, we're joyful, in good health, with work. Um, so God, is, God, is, God has been faithful, even, even in our midst of loneliness at times or routine moments at times. 
One practical way that I have been able to reach out to people is through FaceTime. Um, I have uh, met with my friend Gabi and another good friend of ours uh, to cook over FaceTime. Um, so I, I love Mexican food and Gabi is from Mexico. So we uh, set some time aside to go over a recipe, get the ingredients, and then we got together to cook it at home. We were also able to see her kids and, and my kids, and we all said hi to each other. Um, and it was fun. It was fun to um, share the meal, even though we were far away. Mm -hmm. uh, and it came out really delicious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I made a goal for myself that I would try to FaceTime or text my friends once a week, um, which doesn't seem like that much, but in the midst of Zoom school for me, it definitely can feel like a chore sometimes, but that's why I like that text option. Um, and yeah, I've also, this has been good for me and my family to, I feel like just grow closer over all of this because um, my brother and I both play sports and hung out with our friends a lot. So just being able to you know, sit down and have a meal together is a lot better. But I really think that my parents are hoping for that vaccine soon because I think they've had enough. <laughs> In order for me to go see my grandkids, we FaceTime a lot. So uh, it's not the same as, you know, being there with them and love them and hug them and things like that. There's a way to get connect with them. So. Um, in the time that you know, with a small group we're talking about, and uh, we also go into Zoom, and every week we meet over Zoom. And uh, that's the result of pandemic, just hit, uh, hit hard for us. It's not, you know, over Zoom is not the same as face-to-face. -face. So when I, you know, um, we did manage to have some, uh, a few times that we meet at somebody, somebody's house out in the driveway or in the front yard or the backyard, so that with social distancing and mask on and all that. Yeah, and like Adam mentioned, sometimes this relational loneliness can impact our spiritual life and our connection with God. Have you guys felt that at all, as though that relational loneliness has impacted your relationship with God? Have you ever felt spiritually lonely? Definitely. I think in general, this pandemic has helped my relationship because I wasn't getting that social interaction. So I really had to, you know, search and find that somewhere. I think it's Psalm 62, five says something about finding rest in God. So I really tried to use that um, verse as like my motto and just really try to find rest in God. But that also made it hard when I didn't find that. And there were periods throughout the pandemic where I felt like God was absent, which was hard because I really was like, God, I'm trying to find you. Where are you? Like, I'm putting in the time, I'm putting in the effort, but I don't feel like you're there. But I think sometimes God wants us to know that he's there, but he's not always gonna be saying something, he'll be silent. And I think looking back on it during those periods of loneliness, um, I was too focused on my relationship with other people and what I was missing than the relationship that I have with Jesus and how that could have gotten better, so. It has and it hasn't. Um, I feel that I find myself praying more often. Um, 
asking God for more protection than before. I, every time I send my kids, my kids to school, uh, I'm not only praying for wisdom and guidance, but I'm also praying for protection and, and health, good health. So I think I have um, been able to keep, uh, keep up with my prayer life. Um, and I, I think it's more, it has to do a lot to do with the situation that we are in uh, that is out of our control. So I need to wake up every morning remind, reminding me that I need to give it to God rather than, than trying to figure things out on my own. So I, I think it has somehow strengthened. Yeah, I feel like that's so true. Sometimes for me, I know that I can get so caught up in the loneliness that I can kind of like lose sight of or lose track of where God is in my life, like you said, Anna, in those moments. And But then I'm also able to see moments of God's faithfulness. But it definitely takes some intentionality and some habits in order for me to be aware of God's presence sometimes amidst the loneliness. So what have been some ways, some habits, practices that you all have leaned, in, leaned into during this time as a way to connect with God? Mm. So... I have tried to make um, manageable goals for myself. And one of those is being starting and ending the day with prayer, which has really just centered me um, with God every day and helping me to feel his presence more. But it's not like some huge monumental task because it can just be a couple minutes of connecting with him to like set my mind ready. Um, and then also just trying to get in the word every day, which has been so helpful because on some days where I have more time, I can read a couple chapters, but on days where it's like 1130, I just finished all of my homework. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> I can just read like a verse or two. Those habits have just helped me seen that throughout the entire Bible, God's always with us and he's always there. And he tells us that, and he's shown that in my life. So those have been really helpful to get me out of that, um, cycle of just loneliness that we've all been feeling. I develop a habit like Anna, and uh, I vow to myself to say I have to do the quiet time, read the Bible, and pray to God every morning. First things in the morning. It's not like, oh, I just want to get it done with. It's just to put God, you know, first. I want to share a verse in the Bible. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So I just want to encourage people to look up to God and rely on him and put him first. Because of my little girl, um, that routine kind of went out the door for now. So I, I find myself... Um, reading a verse or listening to worship music throughout the day, rather than having just one specific moment where I devote to prayer. While I'm cooking or cleaning, I give my prayers to the Lord. And um, we also started um, with my husband and my two teenage boys, a devotional time together. So that's what we have been trying to do. Uh, over the past few months, and we're reading through the books, through the book of Proverbs, um, four, six verses at a time, and we focus, I ask them to remember one thing that stuck to them, and then once we're done reading, then we can all share. Thank you all for coming here and sharing your stories. It's 
really interesting and helpful to hear about other people's lives, especially during this time when we're all kind of in our own little world. So thank you for coming and sharing and being open and honest with your lives and your experience during this time. So thank you for coming. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. You know what's amazing? We didn't compare notes beforehand. I didn't give them my script. I wasn't even done writing or, or compiling my thoughts, but each one of them emphasized the promises, the practices, and the people of God in that discussion. Anna quotes a promise from the book of Psalms, a piece written by King David. It just says this. It says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him in, in all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Now, Natalia talked about the importance of the people of God. I, I loved how she put it. She said, we do life best in community. And, and then she went to explain how she's working hard to find ways to connect with people, with others during this difficult time. Sam uh, talked about his commitment to the practice of scripture reading and prayer uh, during a very difficult season of physical distance from his loved ones. So as an entire community, as a church, in about two weeks, we have a chance to lean into the practices of faith during Lent. We'll actually be practicing the spiritual uh, disciplines of fasting and prayer, and, and I'm really excited about it. I would highly recommend you start thinking about it, praying about it, preparing yourself. God is going to do incredible things as we lean into this. And this morning in particular, we have an immediate resource for you. Uh, rather than just listening to me talk or listening to a, a panel, what we wanted is we wanted to give you a chance to practice some practical and tangible activities and conversations to work at breaking that cycle of loneliness and disengagement. So our student ministry team has created a sermon response guide. You can find it at grace.org slash reentry, uh, or you can actually find it in our app. And in it, you'll find suggestions on how to connect with people, both in your household and outside your household. You'll also find suggestions for connecting with God, both on your own and with others. So go check it out. Uh, maybe choose one or two things from it that you want to do this week. If you're a student joining us for the winter retreat, we want this to be something you do today uh, as a part of your family and as a part of the retreat. So you'll actually find it. We printed it for you. It's in your student guide from the weekend that we were given. You can also find it on the app or the website if, if you want. But for all of us, let's remember, we were created for relationships, both with God and, and with other people. And God, through his beautiful grace and love for us, he has given us these critical support structures to help us meet those needs. And those support structures, they help us break the cycle of loneliness and disengagement as we rely on the promises, the practices, and the people of God. Jesus knows your name. He knows what's going on in your heart. He wants to look in your eye. He wants to invite himself over. So this week, let's begin by focusing on the promises of God, the practices of faith, and know that you are welcome here at Grace Chapel as a part of the people of God. Amen.